You're listening to The Relevant Truth Podcast. My name is Roger Mason. This podcast is dedicated to examining biblical truth. The Bible is overflowing with relevant truth useful in our everyday lives. Thus the title, Relevant Truth. The Bible was relevant to those that first heard it through the apostles and prophets. It is also timeless truth, which means that is relevant for us today in the 21st century. It is my hope that through this podcast, you will be both encouraged and challenged as we look at the Bible together. In today's podcast, we will be looking at the prediction of Peter's denials. We all experience the testing of our faith as Peter and the disciples did. What should we do when our faith is tested? This is the big idea in today's podcast, the testing of our faith. The prediction of Peter's denials is found in all four Gospels. But let's begin by reading in Mark 14, verses 27 to 31. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to him, Assuredly I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently, If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said, Likewise. Peter and the other disciples were totally unaware of the events which were about to happen in the next couple of hours. Jesus was about to be arrested, face trial, and be crucified. Jesus, of course, was very aware of the circumstances that they were about to face. The disciples were about to be severely tested. Jesus himself was about to be severely tested. For Jesus, the real battle was won at Gethsemane. Yes, Jesus purchased for us eternal redemption at Calvary, but the battle was won at Gethsemane. Jesus had tried to warn the disciples about what was to come. Mark 8, verses 27 to 33. Now Jesus and his disciples went out of the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he spoke this word openly. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. The disciples, having witnessed the teachings, the healings, and the miracles of Jesus, began to accept and believe that Jesus was indeed the Jewish Messiah, the Christ whom they were looking for. 
Peter confessed his belief here in verse 29. You are the Christ. His confession was not only his own personal belief, but he also was expressing the belief of many, if not all, of the disciples. Peter was the spokesman for the disciples. On the heels of Peter's confession, Jesus began to instruct them what was going to come. Jesus must suffer, be rejected by the religious leaders, and be killed. This would be followed by his resurrection from the dead. Peter rebuked him. This was not at all what Peter saw for the future of the Messiah. Peter didn't get it. He objected to what Jesus was saying. Peter was closed to any idea of Jesus suffering and dying. But this was the Father's plan that Peter was resisting. It's interesting what Mark tells us in verse 33. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. This interaction happening between Peter and Jesus was being observed by the other disciples. And the other disciples were probably in agreement with what Peter was saying. In verse 33, it goes on to say that Jesus rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Peter was resisting the Father's will, and Jesus rebuked him for it. He was attempting to correct his thinking. The second time that Jesus spoke to the disciples about his death is recorded in Mark 9, verses 31 and 32. For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they did not understand this saying, and were afraid to ask him. Jesus told them that he would be betrayed and killed, and following that he would be resurrected from the dead on the third day. The disciples did not understand and were afraid to ask Jesus about this, possibly because the tension and the confrontation that occurred the first time that this subject came up. A big part of not understanding the words of Jesus was the fact that his words were not appealing to the disciples. How often do we do this? We don't understand because we don't like what we're hearing. The third time that Jesus spoke to the disciples about his death is recorded in Mark chapter 10, verses 33 and 34. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and scourge him, and spit on him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. That's Mark 10, verses 33 and 34. Jesus tells his disciples that he would be betrayed, condemned to death, mocked, scourged, and killed. Three times Jesus attempts to explain to the disciples what was about to happen to him. Difficult times lay ahead for Jesus and his disciples. Jesus tried to point out the positive. His death would be overshadowed by his resurrection from the dead. The third day he would rise again. That's verse 34. Jesus keeps telling them that his resurrection from the dead would be the final outcome at the end of these difficulties ahead. 
but the disciples did not receive what he was saying. It became a point of tension between Jesus and his disciples. Our text today is the fourth time that Jesus tells his disciples about his approaching death, which would happen in a couple of hours. Jesus warns them of this approaching time of testing for them. Just like the disciples, we experience tests which God uses to make us mature. Tests are intended to shape our Christian character and strengthen our faith. God is interested in our character. Man is interested in position, power, and prestige. Even in Christian circles, this is what man seeks. These things do not matter to God. His interest is in our Christian character. He wants to see us made to be like Jesus. He wants to see Christian character formed in us. And this happens through this time of testing. And God uses times of testing to shape and form our Christian character. Today I want to talk about the testing of our faith. And there are three simple truths about the testing of our faith that I want to look at. The first one is this, tests will come. We will all experience God's testing. It is a fact of life. The life of a Christian will be tested by God. The Bible tells us that God will test us. Proverbs 17 and verse 3 the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. Psalm 66 and verse 10. For you, O Lord, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. James 1 verses 2 and 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Circumstances happen in our lives that God uses to test us. If Jesus was tested, if the disciples were tested, if Christians throughout history have been tested, how can we expect to escape God's testing? Perhaps you are facing a time of testing right now. I am hoping that what I'm about to say to you will be helpful to you. Jesus warns his disciples that they would soon face a severe time of testing that would force them to either stand with Jesus or to abandon him and run. Mark chapter 14 and verse 27. All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. The NAB says it this way, all of you will have your faith shaken. And the New Living Translation says it this way, all of you will desert me. So Jesus told his disciples, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. The word stumble used in the New King James Version is the Greek word skandalizo, from which we get our English word scandal. The word stumble refers to a snare or a stumbling block. It means to take offense at someone or something and thereby turn away and fall into sin. Jesus predicted that all of his disciples would desert him 
at his arrest and trial. Their loyalty to Jesus would temporarily collapse. Jesus said that their desertion would be the fulfillment of Zechariah 13 and verse 7. That's quoted in Mark 14 and verse 27 when it says, For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Notice the phrase, I will strike the shepherd. The Bible says that God the Father participated in the death of his son. The Father permitted mankind to murder his son in order that he might purchase eternal redemption for mankind. The Father withdrew his hand and allowed his son to be taken into the custody of mankind and to be murdered by men. Notice that Jesus willingly submitted to crucifixion. Jesus confirmed his commitment at Gethsemane when he prayed, not what I will, but what you will. That's Mark 14 and verse 36. Peter strongly objected to the idea that he would forsake and desert Jesus. Look what he says in Mark 14 and verse 29. Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Peter insisted that he would be the exception. I will not. That's an emphatic I used there. With emphasis on the word I. I will not. This is what Peter is saying. He claimed to have a greater allegiance to Jesus than the other disciples. Jesus insisted that Peter's failure would be greater than the other disciples. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. That's Mark 14 and verse 30. Jesus predicted that Peter would deny him three times that very night. Notice Peter's reaction. Verse 31. But he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. Peter insisted that he would die with Christ rather than deny him. Was Peter sincere? Of course he was. But Jesus knew what was about to take place. Peter was not as strong as he claimed to be. Jesus knows our weakness, and yet he still loves us. Jesus knows our sins and our failures, yet he still loves us. A great time of testing was coming for Peter and the disciples, and they were about to fail. The Christian will be tested, and it is unavoidable. God is not caught off guard when we sin. He knows beforehand what we are going to do. Not only do tests come, but secondly, tests come unexpectedly. Jesus attempted to prepare the disciples for the test ahead, yet it still caught them by surprise. Mark records the four times that Jesus clearly predicts his death and the circumstances surrounding his death. Yet the disciples were completely unprepared for the events surrounding the death of Jesus. It is interesting to look at the context of each time that Jesus brings up the subject of his coming suffering and death. The first time Jesus predicted his death, Peter had just identified Jesus as the Christ. 
in response to Jesus' question, but who do you say that I am? That's found in Mark 8 and verse 29. Jesus then predicts his death, and Peter objects, and Jesus rebukes him. Jesus then begins to teach the disciples about the cost of discipleship. That's found in Mark 8, verses 34 to 38. He said to them, Whosoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's Mark 8 and verse 34. The second time that Jesus predicted his death, the disciples had been arguing about who among them was the greatest. That's Mark 9, verses 31 and 32. Then he came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What was it you were disputing among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. That's Mark 9, verses 33 and 34. The third time that Jesus predicted his death, James and John requested a position in his kingdom. Grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left hand in your glory. That's Mark 10, verse 37. The other disciples were angry with them for asking this. This was the first three predictions of Christ's death and the surrounding details of each prediction. Were the disciples taking seriously what Jesus was saying about his death? It appears the disciples were completely missing what Jesus was saying about his coming death. You might ask, what were the disciples thinking? Their behavior can be explained by looking at the Jewish understanding of who the Messiah was and what the Messiah would do. The Jews believed that the Messiah would bring Israel into a kingdom greater than that of David and Solomon. They were thinking in terms of being free from Roman occupation and domination. They believed that Israel would come into a place of world dominance and influence, and that the Messiah would bring Israel to this place of influence and domination. They were thinking in terms of an earthly kingdom that they would be a part of with Jesus as the head. Jesus was contradicting and challenging their belief system. This was why we see this conflict and this contradiction in what Jesus was saying and what the disciples were saying. One of the major reasons why the disciples were unprepared for the troubles ahead was because of their selective listening or their faulty beliefs. Do you have selective hearing when you read the Bible? The disciples heard what they wanted to hear and rejected what they didn't like. Jesus said, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. That's Matthew 26, verses 31 and 32. Peter said, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. That's Matthew 26, verses 33 to 35. Peter said, I will lay down my life for your sake. That's John 13 and verse 37. Peter said, 
I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. That's Luke 22 and verse 33. So Peter told the Lord that he was wrong. Peter affirmed his loyalty to Jesus. I will die for you. I will lay down my life for your sake. I will go to prison and to death. Strong statements of loyalty. The disciples didn't accept what Jesus said. They all disagreed with what Jesus said. What do we do when God tells us what we don't like to hear? The disciples implied that Jesus' predictions were wrong. Peter claimed that he would stand by Jesus to the end. This is called an emphatic negative that is used here. I will not deny you. That's Mark 26 and verse 35. What Peter means is this. I will by no means ever disown you. That's an emphatic negative. He emphasizes his loyalty to Jesus. But Jesus was aware of their weakness and their vulnerabilities, both of Peter and all of the disciples. The disciples were blind to their weaknesses, but the test ahead would reveal the truth. That is what tests do. It reveals our weaknesses. It reveals our vulnerabilities. It exposes the truth about a person. It exposes the depth or the shallowness of a person's faith. Jesus knew that once he was arrested, his disciples would abandon him. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. That's Matthew 26 and verse 56. We often have an unrealistic idea of our own strengths and abilities. We think we know what is best for us. The disciples were unprepared for their time of testing because they failed to listen to Jesus. Think about the disciples for a minute. Think about what they felt like when Jesus died on the cross. They had spent three years with Jesus. They saw his miracles. They heard his teachings. They saw the healings that Jesus did. They saw his compassion towards the needy. They witnessed his conviction. They saw him outwit the religious leaders when they tried to trick him. They accepted him as the Messiah. They believed that he was God. Then he was arrested, tried, and crucified, and he died. How would you respond to this situation if you believed that the arrest, trial, and crucifixion should not have happened? All kinds of thoughts and emotions would run through your head. What a fool I was to believe in him. He was a false prophet. I feel betrayed. Now what am I going to do? Where do I go from here? I wasted my life, the last three years of my life. I knew what he said was too good to be true. These could be thoughts going through the minds of the disciples after Jesus was arrested, tried, and he died. These events rocked their world, shook their faith, and caused them to stumble. Life sometimes throws things at us that we really are not prepared for. Difficulties and problems blindside us. 
like the disciples, we are caught off guard. I remember a time when I was pastoring that I was wading waist deep in difficulties. I was burdened, restless, defensive, agitated, and overwhelmed by the circumstances that I was in. I was desperate, and I decided to set aside a time of fasting and prayer. After about a week of this, nothing around me had changed. Everything remained the same. The difficulties that surrounded me had not changed. But I was peaceful, calm, and clear-minded. I was literally unaffected by my surroundings, even though nothing had changed. The only thing that had changed was me. In my case, it wasn't so much that I heard from God. It was more that I experienced God and felt His closeness. My surrounding circumstances had not changed, but they didn't affect me the same. The best advice I can give you is when you find yourself in a sizzling trial of life, listen to Him and draw close to Him. Not only do tests come unexpectedly, but thirdly, tests come to mature us. God's tests are always designed to make us better Christians. Satan's motivation is to destroy the Christian and their faith in God. Christ's message was hard for the disciples to take. He told them that they would all disassociate themselves from him that night to save their own skin. They would forsake their master and run for their lives. Jesus made very clear that even though they would forsake him, he would not forsake them. Even when we fail him, he will not fail us. Even when we forsake him, he will not forsake us. Jesus will always forgive us and receive us even when we utterly fail him. Matthew 26 and verse 32. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. I will go before you to Galilee as a shepherd goes before his sheep. Jesus promised them that he would be victorious over death, that death would not separate Jesus from his disciples, that he would see them again, that he would go before them to Galilee and that they were to go to Galilee to meet with him. Jesus promised them that he would have victory over death, that death would not separate Jesus from his disciples. After rising from the dead, he would meet with them in Galilee. Jesus was attempting to give them hope in the face of these tragic events that they would soon face. Jesus told Peter, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. That's Luke 22 and verse 31. The Greek word for you used here is plural, indicating that Satan has asked permission to trouble or to test all of the disciples. Satan has asked for you all. The tests that come to God's people are only those which God allows. This reminds us of Job, where Satan challenged God and said, If you remove your blessing from Job, he will curse you. And God accepted Satan's challenge. This is found in Job 1, verse 12. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. 
notice that God put boundaries around Satan's testing of Job. Satan wanted to destroy Job, but God wanted godly character. So God allowed Job to be tested. A huge part of Job's battle was the why. Why is this happening to me? What have I done wrong? We need to rest in the truth that God loves us and that he is for us. God does not ignore us. Instead, he is mindful of us. Jesus assured Peter, I have prayed for you. The Greek word for you is singular. It refers specifically to Peter. Jesus was saying to Peter, I have prayed specifically for you. Notice that Jesus didn't pray that Peter would be delivered from his troubles. Jesus was aware that the troubles were coming to Peter, and he prayed for Peter, that he would get through it, that he would come through it to the other side. Why did Jesus pray this way? Because God is interested in Christian character. Trials and difficulties in life help shape and form our character. Our character is one of the few things that we can take to heaven with us. When you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Luke 22 and verse 32. This is what Jesus said to Peter. Peter was instructed to strengthen the other disciples when he returned. When we have been through adversity, we have the unique ability to help others. Tests will come, and they will come unexpectedly, and they will take us by surprise. The trials and the tests of life can make us into a more mature Christian. It can go either way depending on our response to the test that we face. Tests can make us better or they can make us bitter. Depends on our response. God is interested in godly Christian character. Tests reveal the truth about us. After Peter had denied the Lord, the Bible says that Peter remembered the word of Jesus. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. That's Matthew 26 and verse 75. Peter became aware of his sin and he repented of it. He may have remembered how he was so forceful that he would willingly die before he would ever deny Jesus. Now he becomes aware that he did exactly what Jesus said he would do that he had failed, that he had denied the Lord three times. But this was not the last word that Jesus told Peter. Luke 22 and verse 32, But I have prayed for you, that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. You will deny me three times, but you will return to me. And when you do, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew that in spite of his great failure and sin, that Peter would find his way back to Jesus. Remember the message of the angels at the tomb to the women. This is found in Luke 24, verses 6 and 7. He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and the third day rise again. 
So the angels are referring back to the times that Jesus predicted what would happen to him. And the angels are saying to the women, go back and tell the disciples this message. Remember what Jesus said, that he would be handed over to sinful men, that he would be crucified. But on the third day, he would arise again. And the angels were in essence saying, what Jesus said has come true. He has risen. The women were to go back to the disciples and give the disciples this message. Remember what Jesus said. The best thing that you can do in the midst of trials is to remember what Jesus said. What do we do when our faith is being tested? We remember what Jesus said. Thanks for listening to Relevant Truth. We will be back in two weeks, Saturday, April the 19th. That's Easter weekend. Next time, we will be talking about evidences for the resurrection of Jesus. 